Welcome to New Testament Talk, the podcast that talks about the first century revelation of God and how it continues to impact us in the 21st century. I am your host, Pastor Fred Roberts. Grab your Bible and join me as we talk about life in the New Testament. The last reason I see in the Bible that persecution comes is because of envy. Look at verse 4. It says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of them, the men, was about 5,000. You know, when Jesus was brought to Pilate, Pilate was attempting to free Jesus. And the Bible says that the reason why was because he knew the only reason the Jews delivered him up was for envy. They were envious of his success with the common people. You know, it's amazing. They justified it in their mind because they thought, well, if Jesus gains too much of a following, the Romans are going to come in and destroy our nation. That's what they told each other, that they were doing it. That they were, they were uh, persecuting Jesus because they were trying to save their nation. You know, that, that was their justification. But in reality, the reason why they were persecuting Jesus was because everybody was listening to him. Everybody was going to him. Everybody was he- hearing him and was following him. And they weren't getting that themselves. They were filled with envy. As we study through the book of Acts, we'll find this over and over again. <laughs> the Apostle Paul would go to a town, and he always starts in the synagogue. He'll go to the synagogue, and he'll preach Jesus. And he'll preach the resurrection. You know, when he does, you know, they will have like a lively conversation. They will talk about it. And, oh, he made a good point. Oh, I like how he used the prophet, you know, Isaiah in this instance, you know. And they, they will have this discussion about it. And some of the Jews will believe. And so then they go out and they tell all their friends, this guy's coming and he's preaching Jesus who raised from the dead. And pretty soon, not only the Jews are coming, but also the Gentiles. And so all these people come to the synagogue next week. So... Now you have a, a packed house. And the only reason they came was they came to hear the Apostle Paul. And immediately when that happens, the Jews, who, who are there week after week after week, and nobody ever comes to hear them, they get upset. They get envious. And then they start fighting or resisting the Apostle. You know? Last week, when there was just them and, you know, them, their four and the no more, you know, when they had this, the, you know, just the regulars come, you know, they, they, weren't, they weren't resisting then. But now when the whole place is filled to capacity and to come to hear about this Jesus who rose from the dead, who's the Messiah, then they're, they're envious and they're going to persecute him. And they, so they, they go against him and they, they say, oh, he's wrong, oh, he's wrong, oh, he's wrong, and all this kind of stuff. And... They love to have the preeminence. That was what was happening. That was what was happening. They loved to have the preeminence. So that's why they persecuted. How did they persecute the apostles? Well, first of all, they bound them. That says they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day. So they grabbed them and they threw them in a little, little prison they had built on the complex, the, the temple complex. But, uh, yeah, so they had a jail right there on the Temple Mount. The first thing that they want to do is they want to set boundaries on Christians. 
you know, when persecution starts, the first thing they'll do is they'll say, well, you know, that's fine for you to preach that in your church. You stay in your church building, but that's the only place you can, you can preach it. And so they'll say, you can't, you can't do anything else. You know, you can't, you know, leave this, these boundaries. Um, and they'll, they'll make all kinds of boundaries. You know, they can't, you can't go here. You can't go there. You can't do this. You can't do the other. Back in the 60s and 70s, when the fundamentalists first started going out and they were doing a bunch of door knocking, that's when door knocking was, you know, very, that was in its heyday, you know, so all the fundamentalists would go out on Saturdays and knock doors, then you have all these signs start popping up, no solicitors, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, the whole, the whole purpose of that was to keep you from knocking on their door, um, so that, you know, they wouldn't have to be bothered by it. Now they have gated communities, you know, so that you can't go into the community to knock on doors and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, but some of it's for, you know, for protection. It depends on, like, there's some places in Oklahoma City that you want to have a gated community. <laughs> um, but they try to make boundaries. They try to lock it into a little box. Uh, keep them, you know, tied down and, and, and contained within a certain area. And that's when persecution, that's how it starts. It always starts, you know, you, you can do this, you know, some other place or some other time, but you can't do it here, you can't do it now. Um, but God doesn't work that way. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, I'm not going to have you turn there, but the Apostle Paul is under house arrest. I mean, he literally is under house arrest. He has armed guards watching him day and night. Uh, he cannot go out wherever he wants to. And yet, he tells Timothy that the word of God is not bound. That the word of God is still going out. People are getting saved. Even though he could not leave, God was still working in the lives of those around him. Um, you know, there's no bounds that, that can hold God back. But they will try. Not only do they do that, but they also threaten. In verses 17 and 18... They, they said this. This is them talking to each other. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his, this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. <laughs> so the command was, look, when you come to the temple, don't talk. <laughs> just be quiet. <laughs> you know, just just you know, offer your sacrifice, listen to the Levites, and go home. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to say anything. Uh, but we definitely don't want you to teach in the name of Jesus. You know, so th they threatened it. Now, let's be clear. The command carried a threat with it. This was understood. You know, when they said, don't do this, the apostles weren't thinking that that's a suggestion. <laughs> We'll take it under advisement. You know, they, they, that wasn't how it came across. This was understood that there's a threat behind this command. I mean, you know, you violate this and you're in trouble. Okay? So it was very clear in their minds that there was a threat involved here. Now, you also have to understand, these are the very same people that had Jesus crucified. These same people. <laughs> I mean, these weren't, you know, the, the next generation... These were the same people. Caiaphas was there. Annas was there. These people who are sitting over them right now, and they're looking right at him, 
Peter was in that room with them as they, you know, tormented Jesus. He saw it. He was there. So, and John was there too. Now that I mentioned, now that I think about it, John, they both were there. All these people, they knew they meant business. They were playing. The threat was there. And by the way, the threat is still present today. You know, Christians do face persecution even today. We were talking about the man that, uh, you know, had the church outside and that they had the cops come and was giving people $500 tickets. I mean, that's just a ticket. But <laughs> the threat is there. They could, step, they, they could continue on and you could step this up and they could get as, as much as, you know, here in America, imprisonment. Um, you know, depending on your neighborhood, you might get beat up or something like that. So there, there could be other things happen. I remember hearing a preacher uh, talking about that when he took over a church, um, <laughs> he took over the church, and the people loved it. I mean, he was having people saved, and and it, it you know things were just just exploding. I mean, they were having people, you know, new people coming all the time. But the old members, the ones that had been there for a long, long time, didn't want it. They didn't like it. You know, it was, too, it was too crazy for them. And so they decided that they were going to get rid of the preacher. And so, you know, they tried to vote him out, and he, he, he was able to counter that. They tried to um, uh, get the people, you know, to turn against him, and the people wouldn't turn against him. Uh, so they decided that they would move it to the next step. They set his house on fire. And he's saying, yeah, and, and his whole point was to the preachers, he was, he was telling the preachers, he goes, if you're doing something for God, you've got to expect that the devil's going to fight you. And he said, you know, I never expected it to be my own church members, but he said, they set our house on fire. And he said, you know, you know you're being persecuted when you're having to look at your children and explain to them that God's going to take care of them, you know, when they're wondering if their house is going to be set to fire again. You know, are they going to set our house on fire again, Daddy? You know, and as he's trying to comfort his children, you know, in the midst of all this, you know, just because he's just doing what God wanted him to do. Persecution happens. They'll threaten you. And they, <laughs> they can't follow through with that. And we'll see as we study the book of Acts. In chapter 5, they're beaten. Same crowd. They beat them. In chapter 7, they stone a guy to death. You know, so... Persecution's coming. This is just the beginning of sorrows. This is just the beginning of what the world will do. So we see the beginning of persecution. Now let's look at the defense. What did Peter do because of it? And we'll quickly go through this because there's a lot here. But um, Peter's defense. First of all, he stuck with the gospel. He stuck with the gospel. If you look at his sermon in verses 5 through 10, um, well, 8, 9, and 10. Well, I'm sorry. I wrote down the wrong things. 8 through 12. Um, <clears throat> you see several components of what his message is. First of all, he exalts Christ. Uh, he says unto them, 
be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, verse 10, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. So he's not, he's not there talking about his own goodness. He's not there to say, you know, yeah, look, I'm somebody special. I'm important. Um, you know, he doesn't do that at all. He totally deflects their attention from him to the person that they need to be thinking about, and that is Jesus Christ. He's completely focused on Jesus. Um, and when we deal with people, that's what it's all about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. That's what it's about. And you know what? If people come to Jesus, Jesus will help them. Jesus will save them. Jesus will um, give them the victory in their lives. Um, otherwise, there's nothing else. <coughs> so it's all about Christ. He exalts Christ. Then he gives them the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Uh, again, in verse 10, he says, Whom ye crucified. Uh, I love that. I mean, talk about boldness. These are the people that crucified Jesus, and he's pointing out, you crucified him. You killed him. You're, it's your fault. Um, whom God raised from the dead. So you have the, res the, the crucifixion, you have the burial, you have the resurrection. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that is the very definition of what the gospel is. And the Apostle Paul states it. He said, I give you what, I was, what was given to me, how that Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried, and rose again according to the scriptures. The death, the burial, the resurrection. And this is what Peter sticks with. Now, the next thing is that it's a very scriptural message. He points out from Scripture that this is what's going on. He says in verse 11, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And he applies it to them. <laughs> so he takes the passage and he applies it to them. He says, Jesus is the stone which you builders rejected. But God has taken and made him the headstone of the corner. You know, and that, of course, is a quote from the Old Testament. Um, you know what? Stick with the Bible. If you have Bible, they can't argue with that. You can't argue with that. Even if you don't like it, even if you don't agree with it, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> you know? And if that's what you got, that's what you got. You know what? You're in good ground. And then uh, verse 12, he says, There's salvation in no one else. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Uh, verse number 12. Um, we call this uh, solo Christo. <laughs> There's five sole. You know, basically talking about five single things. Um, five alone things. Um, faith alone. Uh, scripture alone. Well, one of them is Christ alone. Uh, there is, it's only Christ that saves. There's no other way to get saved other than Christ. He had an undeniable change. <laughs> the fact of the matter is they could not deny that this lame person was healed. They couldn't deny it. You know, when God starts changing people's lives, they can't deny the change. You know, far too many people want to keep these things hidden. But you know what? If Jesus has made a change in our lives, we need to let other people know about it so that they also can see that it's real. That it's not fake. It's not just me and my religion. It's not me and my social club, my little hobby that I have on Sundays. You know, it's, it's, it's a real change. It's a real thing that's occurred in my life. You know, the drunkard who, who gives up the drink. 
the smoker gives up the smoking. The drug addict gives up the drugs. You know, the, the, um, you, know, you name it, whatever it is. <laughs> In Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and he gives them this whole list of sins and adulterers and, and fornicators and idolaters and all this kind of stuff. This is the whole list. And he says, such were some of you. There was a change made. Jesus changed the lives of people. And when they see that change, they can't deny that. They can't deny that. We know that there's been a change. We can't deny that. They had a reasonable motive. Look at verse, uh, uh, down in verse 19. <laughs> Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. So here's their reasoning. They're like, okay guys, you say we should do this, but let me pose you a question. Should we listen to you or God? What do you think? Who should we obey? You or God? Now, that's a, that's a pretty reasonable argument. <laughs> you know, there's nothing, nothing to argue with there, you know. I don't believe in... <clears throat> Like the Jehovah's Witness, they don't believe in getting blood transfusions. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting a blood transfusion. I don't think there's anything wrong or sinful about blood products or things like that. But Jehovah's Witness, they, they think it's a sin. They, they, the verse that they use is the verse that says, um, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so they, they, they take that as being, you know, if you give them somebody else's blood, you're taking somebody else's life and giving it to them. Um, and that's how they, they interpret that, and it's kind of what they base their, their objection to that is. Um, so, they believe this. We had to do surgery on children of Jehovah's Witnesses. And some of these Jehovah's Witnesses were being forced by the state to get this surgery done. <clears throat> um, because their children had, you know, heart, heart disease. And in order for the child to live, they had to have heart surgery. And so Jehovah's Witnesses were like, you know, we're, we're not going to do that. We're, we're not going to do that. And then the state would come in and say that they're, you know, denying them life-saving medical, you know, treatment and blah, 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 and, and so they would force them to do it. And I told one of the, one of the people that was, I was working with, they were, they were saying that this was wrong, or no, that it was wrong for the Jehovah's Witness to be like that. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, if you believe that something was going to condemn your child to eternal hell, would you let them do it? I mean, would you let them do that? Well, that's where they, that's what they believe. They, they believe that, you know, they were doing this. Now, that was their position. That's what they were, were fighting against, you know. And this is where a lot of Christians in the past have been placed, you know. Uh, you know, they were, the Baptists were suffering a long time because they were rebaptizing people. They weren't accepting, you know, the being baptized as an infant. 
And so someone would come to their, their church to get saved. Um, they would rebaptize them. Well, this offended the Catholic church or the church in the area or whatever. And they said, you're well, our baptism's not good enough for you. you know? So they would get offended. And so they would persecute the, the infant Baptist or the early, early Baptists um, for doing that. And uh, yeah, you know what? There comes a point when you have to say, I have to be a God rather than men. I have to obey God rather than men. So, but they had a reasonable motive. You know, reasonably speaking, yeah, you should obey God before you obey man. And then another thing that was not so much Peter's uh, defense, but it was certainly something that helped Peter out, was that they feared the people. Uh, look at verse uh, 21. <clears throat> it says, So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for what that which was done. So they didn't have anything to go on, and they feared the people too much. Last thing. Three things that Peter did in his practice because of the persecution. Number one, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that we are to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That means that it's something that we can accomplish, that we can, we can do. And it all comes down to letting the Holy Spirit have control. The Holy Spirit lives in the Christian. He is the earnest of our salvation. So as soon as a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit moves right in. He's here. You know, a child of God has the Holy Spirit. But does the Holy Spirit have a child of God? That's where the question lies. Whether we will allow the Holy Spirit to work through us to accomplish the will of God. Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. His actions, his words, what he was doing was all being directed and controlled by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't being done by him. He wasn't, you know, figuring all this out. He wasn't like playing the angles and just happened to be super smart. You know, none of that. He was just allowing the Holy Spirit to, to use him to accomplish what his will was. We need to have that same attitude. Yield ourselves to the Spirit and let him control us. The next thing that was true in his Peter's life was he had spent time with Jesus. Now, he had spent time literally with Jesus. But, you know, figuratively, we also should be spending time with Jesus. Hey, figuratively, it's literal as well. Jesus is alive. We should be spending time with him. He's a real person. In our prayer life, in our Bible study, we should have time with the Lord. And most Christians are weak and anemic because they don't spend enough time with the Lord. They don't have the answers they need when they need them because they haven't spent any time with the Bible. You know, they don't have the peace that passeth all understanding because they haven't spent time in prayer. You know, <clears throat> this whole coronavirus thing and the worry and, and the, the fretting that everybody does because of it, you know, <coughs> is just crazy. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've told you, I've had, I've had grown women crying because they thought I was giving them defective masks 
and that they were going to be exposed and they were going to die. And not only were they going to die, but they were going to take it home and all their family was going to die. And they're like just bawling in public because they felt this way. What is that? That's just fear. That's just fear. And how much worse is it when a Christian is behaving that way? That's so much worse. I mean, the Christian should have the, the peace that passes all understanding. The Christian should be, you know, <clears throat> like Jesus was on the bow of the ship, calming the storm. You know what? The Christian should be calm. They should have peace in their heart and in their mind as they deal with the, the, the storms of life and as they face the challenges of today. Why don't they have that? Because they're not spending any time with Jesus. They just get up, go to work, go to, go to school, go do whatever they're doing, and never have any time for the Lord. And then they wring their hands and worry and fret over the, the littlest things. <clears throat> he spent time with Jesus. <clears throat> Third thing he did <laughs> that gave him the victory was he only spoke what he knew. <laughs> Verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You know what? There's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of wisdom there. Don't talk about things you don't know anything about. But make sure you know what you're talking about. Make sure you know the stuff that you do talk about. Make sure you know those things. You know, <clears throat> when it comes to your relationship with God, I can only tell you what I know and have heard. I can only tell you what God's done in my heart. I can only tell you what the Lord's done in my life. I can only tell you this example of what happened to me you know, when I had need and I went to the Lord and he, he helped me. I can, only, I can only give you what I've been given. There's a lot of wisdom in that. As Christians, we need to have a relationship with God that is real. <laughs> There's a pastor in California. He... Uh, he has a huge church in California. And, you know, that's putting him in God. I, personally, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that model of, of church building. I, I think that, you know, once you get to a certain size, then, you know, you need to start another church and, and so forth. But, you know, be that as may. They have a huge church. And one of the things I appreciate about what he, what he talks about is that he says, I have to keep it real. I have to keep it real with me. He's like, if my prayer life is not what it should be, shame on me for standing up and telling somebody else they should be praying. You know, if I'm not reading my Bible, shame on me for standing up and telling somebody else they need to be reading their Bible. You know, if I can't walk with the Lord the way that the Bible tells me to walk with the Lord, I shouldn't be standing up and telling somebody else to walk with the Lord that way. You know, that's what we need. That's what we need. We need to speak only what we know. This is what I know. This is what God's done for me. This is how he's working in my life. Persecution's coming. It will happen if you live for the Lord. In fact, the Bible says that uh, <clears throat> if you will be godly, you'll have tribulation. You know, that's just the, the truth of it. How we deal with that matters. How we deal with that matters. We need to keep our mind focused on 
what we're here for. Preaching the gospel. Give people Christ. We need to have... Um, let God show the results. Let God do the work. It's all him, not us. It's not about us. It's about him. And you know what? Stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Let him control us. Spend time with the Lord. And only give them what we know. Then God will look out for us. That's what, that's what we see. That's what we hear. Now next week, I'm excited to say we're going to be looking at uh, the church's response to this. <clears throat> which is amazing, by the way. And, uh, but we're going to see that this tug of war continues. And it's going to keep continuing. And we shouldn't expect it to stop you know, in our lifetime. It's going to continue here. Uh, but God will have the victory at the end. Thank you for joining us on New Testament Talk. New Testament Talk is a publication of New Testament Baptist Church in Manchester Center, Vermont. If you would like to talk with us in person, visit our Facebook page, New Testament Baptist Church NTBC. That's New Testament Baptist Church NTBC. Until next time, this is Pastor Fred Roberts reminding you of the greatest truth of the New Testament. The truth can be known. God wants you to know it, and when you receive it, you will be saved. The truth is this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved.